Let's pray again as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks, who enlightens our minds, who teaches us and wants us to learn and to grow. And we pray, please, that by your spirit this morning, you would teach us, that you would give us hearts that are willing to learn and shape us and fashion us as you would be pleased to do so. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over the next few weeks, I want us to look at a few different passages which uh, I think in their own way encourage us to come to God with our different needs. Um, The Bible says that God knows all about our frailties, um, our weakness, our, our, our weakness in the face of temptation, our tendency to sin. It also speaks of God's delight to help us And yet, I think in our experience, so often we can be very slow to come to God to ask for help. We don't like to ask. Uh, We don't like acknowledging our needs. Uh, We prefer to try and sort things out ourselves. And so I thought that for these next few weeks in August, we might just look at a few passages that encourage us to come to God in our need and indeed to keep coming to God in our need. And as I say, the first um, passage to look at is this one, this short passage from 1 John 1, 8 to 10. It's short, so let me just read it again. If you've got it open in front of you, um, that would be helpful. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, We make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. And so our question for this morning is is this one. What do you do with your sin? What do you do with your sin? And I'm not really speaking here about um, old sins, perhaps from your pre-Christian days. I'm speaking more of present sins, Um, your sins from yesterday, perhaps, your sins from this morning. What do you do with the fact that perhaps uh, you lost your temper or you got impatient with your children or you bottled an opportunity to speak of Jesus? Uh, What do you do with the fact that perhaps you got pride or tetchy or that you just felt apathetic towards God? What do you do with those sins? Well, I think our passage today shows us two different approaches, one one wrong and one right. Firstly, we're going to look at the wrong way to deal with our sin, what not to do when it comes to our sin, and that is to deny it. Looking here at verses 8 and verse 10. John begins, verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, or in verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned. The first option open to us is to pretend that we're not actually sinful. Now, my guess is that most of us would never dream of actually saying out loud, I'm I'm sinless. I haven't sinned now for years. I am now perfect. I don't think anyone really talks like that. Maybe the odd person. Most of us wouldn't dream of saying that. But we may be tempted to think and to say things that, in truth, 
amount to the same claim. Okay, someone says, I'm not perfect. I have my moments like anybody, but I am decent. I am good. I always try my best. I mean, what more can you ask of someone? Or, uh, yes, I, 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 I sometimes sin, occasionally, yes, but I wouldn't describe myself as having a sin problem. But really, all, all of those things amount to the same claim. I'm without sin. I don't have a sin problem. I'm sinless. Why might we be tempted to think like that? Well, let me give you uh, three reasons why we've got that te a tendency to think like that on occasions. Firstly, because we've got a tendency to ignore our sin. So when you get a cold, uh, what do you do? Uh, you don't go to the doctor. Um, you don't make a big fuss about it. You may not even mention it to anyone. You just ignore it. Because you know that in a few days' time, it's, it's just, it's just going to wear off. That's all and well and good when it comes to having a cold. When it comes to sin, we're tempted. We have a tendency to do the same, to ignore it, to, to just allow ourselves to be distracted from it, to, to, to give it a few days so that the feeling of shame just wears off. We're tempted to ignore our sin. Secondly, we, we, we've got a tendency to make excuses for our sin. It wasn't really gossip. It was important information that I needed to share with that person, perhaps. Or I, I wouldn't say I was being prayerless. It was just quite a busy time for me. Or I wasn't being greedy. Or, or even if I was, it's nothing next to what some people are like. We make excuses. We shift blame onto other people and onto our circumstances. Thirdly, we rebrand sins. Um, a number of years ago, the, the, the fashion label, you may know this, the fashion label, Bur fashion label Burberry um, had a really big image problem. It was considered to be gangwear. It was the label of choice of football hooligans. So um, that kind of... Um, uh, that pattern on his hat, on, on his shirt. That's Burberry, that checkered design. Uh, but the company underwent a rebrand, such that in 2018, um, even royalty were wearing Burberry. There is the late queen wearing a Burberry headscarf, and the present queen also pictured wearing Burberry. It underwent a rebrand. And in a similar way, our culture has rebranded a load of sins. Uh, so the Bible, for example, speaks of coveting as a sin against God. But we've rebranded it, and now it, to, to many, it's just a, a negative thought pattern. It's undergone a rebrand. Or the Bible speaks, for example, of drunkenness as a sin against God. But again, among many, it's not spoken as such. It's spoken as an, an unhealthy lifestyle choice. It's got undergone a rebrand. Or probably most radically, adultery and other forms of sexual immorality. 
for many, aren't considered to be sin against God. Uh, They're considered to be about being true to oneself. It has had a huge rebrand, those sins. And as a result, the only thing left in the sin category are things like murder. So in these different ways, um, by ignoring our sin, by making excuses, by rebranding certain sins, we can end up in a place where effectively we claim to be without sin. What's the result of making such a claim? Well, I think these verses wake us up to three results. Just have a look at, firstly, at verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, John says, we deceive ourselves. According to a study in 2018, it takes just 45 minutes for us to believe our own lies. And it is pitiful, isn't it, when you see and listen to someone who is, believes their own lies. I guess the saddest example, perhaps, is the alcoholic. Due to everyone else, to his family and friends, it's so obvious that he's got a drink problem. But he doesn't see it. I don't have a problem. I could stop any time, and so on and so forth. And the reason he sounds so persuasive is not because he's a good actor, but because he really believes that. Because for years, he's, he's, he's peddled that lie. He's come to believe his own lies. He's, he's self-deceived. He's in a fantasy world. And John says here that those who claim to be without sin are like that. They are self-deceived. They're living in a fantasy world. How pitiful. The second result of claiming to be without sin is effectively that we call God a liar. I wonder if you saw that in verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. Throughout God's word, God tells us time and time again that we've got a deep-rooted sin problem affecting not just what we do, but why we do what we do and how we think. So when we think to ourselves, I'm decent, or I don't really have a particular issue with sin, not the way some people do, what we're doing is we're actually contradicting God. We're saying, God, what you say about me isn't true. You're lying. Now, we would never dream of saying to God, you're lying. But if we claim to be without sin, if we downplay its reality, its ongoing reality in our lives, that's effectively what we're doing. It's a very serious thing. Third result of claiming to be without sin is that it may even be an indication that we don't belong to God at all. Again, have a look at verse 8. You see it in verse 10 as well. Verse 8 If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You get the same idea in verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. You know, when it comes to our physical health, we know the warning signs, don't we? A lump or a growth, that's a warning sign. 
or significant unexplained weight loss warning sign, or slurred speech and a, a, a numbness in one side warning sign. We know the warning signs, but what about when it comes to spiritual health? Do we know the warning signs? Well, top of John's list of warning signs, claiming to be without sin, he says major warning sign. In fact, an indication that someone may still be living in darkness, that God's word isn't in them at all. So John says very straight uh, to us, friends, if you think you don't have a sin problem, if you think perhaps that you used to, but not anymore, that sin featured in your past, yes, sure, but not currently, John says not only are you self-deceived, not only do you make God out to be a liar, but it may even be an indication uh, that you don't belong to God at all. Serious question marks about the genuineness of your faith. So you see, it really is a very, very serious thing, isn't it? To deny our sin, to downplay its ongoing reality in our lives. Well, that's the wrong approach. What's the right approach to our sin? Well, it's not to deny it, but instead to confess it. And this is a wonderful, wonderful, precious verse. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Confess just means to own up. It means to take responsibility before God. The problem is we don't always feel like we can do this. Um, sometimes deep down we can think of God a bit like a police officer, a law enforcer. Maybe you've seen it on the telly, you know, these police interviews. Um, what were you doing on the, the evening of the 4th of May? No comment. Um, what's your relationship to this person? No comment. Um, do, do you recognize this person in this, in this picture? No comment. The whole way through, no comment, no comment, no comment. Why does someone do that? Well, I think it's because they're smart. Because they know that if they confess, they might well get punished. And we can think like that when it comes to God. Well, better just to keep my mouth shut. Better not, to, better not to say anything. No comment in case he might punish me. So deep down, we really need to know that God's not like that. What is God like? Well, I think this verse helps us. It shows us two things about God which really encourages us to come to him and to confess. Firstly, we see in verse 9 that he is faithful. And God always, faithfulness means God always keeps his promises. He never goes back on his word. What he says he's going to do, he does. So what has God said that he's going to do? Well, think back to the new covenant promise back in Jeremiah 31. I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. That is what he said he's going to do. That is what he's promised to do for those who confess their sins to him. And because God is faithful, that is simply what he will do. He is faithful. And he is just. You see that in verse 9 too. 
He's just. That means he always does what is right. He never does what is wrong. Now, we might think to ourselves, well, hold on a second. If God is just, um, then maybe I'd be better off hiding my sin, keeping my mouth shut. But the fact is that the fact that God is just should, in fact, encourage us to come to him in confession because it reminds us that he's not going to punish our sins twice. Um, this afternoon, if I were to go down into town and to rob Danske Bank, um, if I were to get caught and put in prison, if I were to serve my time for however many years, when I come out from prison, um, I don't need to hide from the police. I don't need to worry about being thrown back into jail. I don't need to keep what I've done a great big secret. Because I've served my time, I've already been punished for my crime. I can't be convicted for my crime a second time. A just judge just wouldn't have it. And it's the same with us and God. On the cross, Christ paid the penalty for all of our sin, past, present, and future. That means if I am in Christ, then God's justice against all of my sin has been satisfied once and for all. My sin has been punished. Which means that when I fall into sin as a believer, I don't need to hide that from God. I don't need to um, pretend that I haven't. I can confess those sins openly because he's not going to punish me again for my sins, sins which he has already punished in the Lord Jesus because he's just. And in fact, because he's just, he must treat me as innocent because in Christ, that is who I am. So if we confess our sin to God, we can be sure that he will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why can we be sure? Because he's faithful and because he is just. How wonderful is it to have a God who's like this? I read this week about uh, the comedian Frank Skinner um, I guess I would disagree with him on some things, but I find him a really interesting guy. Um, he's a serious-minded Catholic, and um, he tells a story of going to confession in a, in a church in London a few years ago. Maybe you read this in the paper this week. He said this, uh, I started talking to the priest in a thoughtful way about what my last confession had been like and whether I thought I'd moved on and improved. But the priest said... Come on, just tell me your sins. You haven't got all day. Frank replied that he was just trying to put it into context. And, uh, but the priest, he was an American priest, said, just tell me your freaking sins. Will you tell me your sins? And it wouldn't surprise you uh, to know that Frank has not been back to confession since. You wouldn't, would you? Thank God that the one to whom we confess, God himself, is nothing like that priest, but rather is faithful to his promise, is just in not punishing us a second time, who loves us and is delighted to hear our confessions 
because it means he can cleanse us afresh and forgive us again. So if you're a believer, can I encourage you to be in the regular habit of confessing your sins to God? Not to wait a few days until the memory of it wears off, but to be quick to say sorry to him and to be open and honest in your confession. Because as we see here, we've nothing to fear. Our God is on our side. And if you've never come to God in confession before, today would be a wonderful day to do that so that you might know his once-for-all cleansing and forgiveness. Um, as the hymn puts it, no, no guilt in life, that is a wonderful thing. No fear in death, no fear of hell, but confidence in a, a restored relationship with the God for whom we were made. Let's pray and ask for God's help that we might be a people who confess our sins to him. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who is faithful, that when you make a promise, you keep it. We thank you that you have promised to forgive and to cleanse all who come to you in humility and confession. We thank you that you are just that you will not punish a second time sins already dealt with in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray, please, that you would be at work in our hearts, that we might be inclined and encouraged to come regularly to you with our sins, knowing that you love us and are willing to forgive and help us. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.